This was the episode that we held our breath for. Could British writers do justice to the woman who inspired the Montgomery bus boycotts and fairly reflect the movement for civil rights? The answer is a resounding yes. Mallory Blackman and Mark Tondurai have quite possibly given us the best episode of the season and one of the best episodes ever. We're diving right in on This Week in Time Travel. not know about you chip but i'm having a moment over here it was an episode full of feels it was difficult to watch at times man there was just such a lot and there was so much writing on this episode and i think at just about every level it delivered (sighs) Alyssa, it was kind of simultaneously difficult to watch and the episode i needed to watch today yeah i mean We're going to get more into what this episode does for the history of the moment, but it is inextricably linked to what is happening right now. And I want to dive into that first and foremost, because I I want to give you guys an impression of how this is tied to the here and now. I watched this episode and I sobbed for about 10 to 15 minutes before we could get started. Because the first thing that happened to me this morning was I woke up with a pounding headache. The first thing that I could see on my laptop when I could finally open up my laptop and look at a screen was the news that the Trump administration is going to be moving to basically erase any possibility of trans people being recognized within the federal government. I spent the day doing my day job working to help elect candidates and feeling increasingly worried and anxious and hopeful all at the same time. And this episode ended on a note that this work can take your entire life and it can take so long, but it is worth it to do it anyways. Many of you might have known this, um, but if you didn't, the song that they played at the end of the episode was Audra Day's Rise Up. For me, that song is always going to be tied to the 2016 election. Uh, she performed it at the Democratic National Convention. I was there, not in the room for that performance, but I was there in the city that day. And Audra Day gave this performance immediately after the mothers of the movement had spoken up on stage. These women were women who had lost their children to police and vigilante violence in the United States. And for me, that was a clear and deliberate symbolic choice to say that what you have just witnessed on screen was deliberate racist violence in Montgomery, Alabama. But these problems are not over. They are not done. People are still being killed in similar acts of violence today. And the reason I started crying about this is because one of those women who spoke on stage, the mothers of the movement, is Lucy McBath. 
And my organization that I work for has endorsed her for Congress in Georgia, and she's got a good chance of winning her election this November. So there's a simultaneous feeling of this is hard and we are going to be fighting for so long to right the wrongs that we can still see today in our world, but it is worth it and there is still hope and there is still progress being made. And God, I needed that message today. And you can hear it in my voice, probably. I'm still sort of at the edge of tears after this story. It was really emotional and really impactful. Pulling myself together. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, this episode was one that is going to be difficult for many people to watch. You know, it does not shy away from the racism of the moment and the violence of the moment. You know, it's one that I was curious about how far they'd go with this because there are some very real limits on what the BBC can show at a daytime hour. One of that being that, you know, there's quite a lot of language that would have been realistically used in those moments right. that did not end up on screen. But they still found a way to show the kind of real horror of how difficult it was to live in that moment and even still to live as a person of color today when you are faced with racist violence like that. You know, that moment with Ryan and Yaz talking about what they still have to deal with in the present day was really amazing because Ryan still has to really work to control his justifiable anger when he faces injustice and racism like that because he is a black man living in a society in which he will face increasingly racist violence if he reacts the way genuinely any one of us would react if we had been slapped in the face for trying to do a good and kind deed like that, you know, right. he's still having to cope with that. And there's degrees of difference between Montgomery, Alabama in 1955 and the United States and the UK today in 2018. But it's still a ever present danger. You know, they talked a lot about Emmett Till in this episode. How Right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. And that kind of stuff isn't over. I mean, there was a viral video going around just the past, what, week, week and a half of a white woman accusing a nine-year-old black boy of sexually assaulting her in a convenience store. And the video proved that the kid did not, he did not do that at all. And this poor kid is traumatized forever as a result of that. There's video after the moment where this kid is sobbing because of what he knows are the potential outcomes of a situation like that where a white woman accuses a black man, a black child of doing something like that. So this is a story of the moment in 1955, but something that is still so impactful for the present day. Yeah, that was what made it such a tough episode to watch, even though it was it was so utterly compelling. We can get into bits of plot points here and there and things like that. But the fact that the first thing that happens to Ryan when he essentially steps right off the TARDIS is that he 
gets hit in the face by it's not even a racist thug who hits him. It's a racist everyman who hits him. And that happens within the first five minutes of this episode. I was afraid that this episode was going to be sort of the sanitized vision of Rosa Parks and the sanitized vision of the civil rights struggle that so many Americans today, and obviously this is a British lens on the American civil rights movement, so many Americans today just sort of sugarcoat what it was like back then. It's almost turned into a feel-good story, except for the people who actually lived it and who suffer the effects of discrimination and white supremacy today. For that to happen to Ryan and Yaz shortly afterward in this story, it's difficult. It is hard to watch. Yeah. You know, I think for me, I was a little nervous coming into this story because it is such a charged issue to tackle. And there are so many rose-tinted stories that we get fed in our culture about Rosa Parks and why she protested. I think for me, the moment where I really got hope is writer Mallory Blackman shared just yesterday a tweet that included a quote from Rosa Parks, where Parks said, people always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true. No, the only tired I was was tired of giving in. And that for me was like, okay, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Mallory gets it. You know, she is not going to give us a sanitized version of this where Rosa Parks is just this kind, tired old lady who's just too tired to get up and move from her seat. You know, it's it's going to be an episode that recognizes that even if it was a spontaneous thing, that it was protest, that it was political protest to say, this is an injustice and I will not stand for it. Yaz's experience in this is fascinating as well. She is discriminated against and has moments of privilege on the bus. She's just in a very uncomfortable liminal place in this story. This episode has a lot of intersectionality to it. It's really looking at the whole picture. It does. You know, there are so many fascinating different perspectives about what is going on. And I think for me, the most interesting person wrestling with that is Graham, because of the entire group, he is the most privileged as a white male. He can move around this situation much more safely and easily than anyone else can. He can access certain places that none of the others of them can. He can meet with several of the people directly involved in this story that the rest of the group can't because he's meeting head on with some of the most racist people that are involved with the events of Rosa Parks's protest. And yet he wants to be the good guy in this scenario. You know, he wants to be uh, the one who's doing the right thing. Uh, and there's that moment on the bus when the doctor realizes they need to be the extra passengers on the bus. They need to be the ones to fill the bus up so Rosa's protest can happen. And you just see Graham go, I don't want to be a part of this moment. And it's it's interesting. And it's one that I wish the episode had focused on. 
a tiny, tiny bit more. Like it's not a complaint. It's not a bad thing about the episode because I think it does what it needs to. But it's, it is so fascinating to kind of have to see Graham confront that, that even though he's involved and he wants to try to do the right thing by Rosa Parks, that he is inherently at that moment, a part of the system that is segregating her, that is oppressing her, that is harming her. And uh, he in that needs- moment, he and the doctor make Rosa Parks go to jail. In a way, yeah. Like, and they're trying to keep history intact so that this sparks the bus boycott. So this furthers the civil rights movement. And the fascinating thing is, like, this was not a new protest idea. There were other people who had refused to give up their seats and had been arrested for it. And this was one that made a splash as a result of deliberate organizing in that moment and the fact that they felt with Rosa they had a sympathetic figure with which to really center this protest around. So it is a commentary, I think, to me that moments like this Sometimes they are just moments in time, but it's not just something that spontaneously happens. It takes action and planning. It takes effort and it takes deliberate follow-up. You know, in this case, our heroes are time travelers who are trying to prevent racists from the future because this never entirely goes away from you know, messing up this moment and trying to stop the protest before it begins. And so they have to let this organic moment happen. And then there's deliberate protest afterwards that really launches this into the civil rights moment that it becomes. So there's there's that tension in that episode that is really fascinating to me. And the doctor and Graham are in a really kind of weird icky place with it of they are trying to help Rosa's moment of protest happen, but they're also in a moment part of the system that yeah. uh, is so painful and uh, harmful for her. So it's it's kind of interesting that moment where Graham has to confront that. And I wonder if they'll carry that forward because uh, Graham, for all he wants to be a good grandfather to Ryan, you know, it'll be interesting if he has to reexamine any of his beliefs and look at what he's doing in the present day to make his world a safer place for his grandson. Yeah. When Rosa is led away by the police and she looks back at the doctor and Graham and Yaz and Ryan, you know, I don't see a ABC after school special sort of ending their expression. You know, Rosa Parks doesn't give them a, a thumbs up. Everything is going to be all right or anything like that. I saw something of not an, accusation of complicitness you know i think she looked at these people who she didn't know were time travelers or anything else like that as you're part of the system now Mm -hmm. it's a really fascinating moment a fascinating position to put the doctor and uh, her companions in mallory blackman did just an absolutely astounding job with that i think from my recollection and my quick online searches a lot of the dialogue used in that moment seemed from I'm not a historian of this. This 
is what I remember from school and quick Google searches to try to confirm what my memory is. But it seems to me that she used the dialogue almost exactly from Rosa Parks's recollections of that moment and what she said in that moment. Yeah. Um, and that's great, really, that what they had in this story was not the doctor and friends being an inspiration or impetus for this moment. And it wasn't, you know, aliens influencing, you know, secretly the civil rights movement or anything like that. It was hers. It was Rosa Parks's moment entirely. And the dialogue was hers. And they were just there to maintain the integrity of the moment and maintain Rosa Parks's ownership of that moment. That was great. Yeah, I don't know if I wish that Mallory Blackman and Chris Chibnall had strengthened the portrayal of Rosa Parks in the sense that she was secretary to the local chapter of the NAACP. She was involved. We do have that scene where she brings Ryan into the Parks' house and uh, among the people there are the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., and Ryan just loses it, justifiably so. That I, moment where he's speaking to both of them and he's just like, I just addressed Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks in the same sentence. What is happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is a great moment, but I'm not sure that it is enough to, you know, she was a civil rights activist already. And I thought that there was just a little bit too much of the the myth of just one woman on the seat. This was not a planned, staged protest. She had that moment where she had had enough, but I don't know. I kind of would have liked to have seen it more explicit that she had been in the struggle already for a good long while. Yeah, I thought it did a fairly decent job. It probably would have helped to like, unless they did, I don't recall them naming the NAACP directly. They didn't. Um, Okay. Um, I think that, I think that would have helped at least for the U.S. viewers. I don't know how well known the organization is outside of the U.S., but, you know, a touchstone to say, like, she was an activist. But for me, I think it, you know, it showed pretty well that she was connected. She was a civil rights activist in her own right. She was involved. It, was more than I had expected, honestly. And I I don't mean to give short shrift to Mallory Blackman because the other thing I want to point out is Chris Chibnall is co-credited as a writer on this uh, story. And I trusted Mallory Blackman to do a good job of it, but I was worried where the emphasis would come down between trying to focus on the sci-fi elements versus accurately portraying Rosa Parks. And one of the things is I have a kind of inherent distrust because moments like that with Rosa Parks meeting with local leaders and bringing Ryan into it, if there's a time crunch, moments like that are going to be the first that people are going to consider to go yeah. because they're not being seen as furthering the plot. So I can 100% trust Mallory Blackman to want to include a scene like that because she has written speculative fiction in this vein before and I've read it and it's good. And so like I had a lot of trust for her, but there are so many people involved in the actual creation of an episode and people who would have known that that is important to Rosa Parks' story may not have been the ones who would have been involved with the final co 
position of that episode and what scenes made it through. So I want to be clear, like, my distrust is not for Mark Tondurai and Mallory Blackman, not for the Black creators uh, behind this episode, but that television production is a big, weird process and there's lots of people involved and it only takes a bad decision from one person to dramatically affect the final outcome and do things that aren't great to a story um, who just did, wouldn't know that that's important to a story. Um, so just to clarify, that's where I'm coming mm -hmm. from here. Yeah. Um, and, and in the end, this cannot be a biopic about Rosa Parks because it is an episode of Doctor Who. So there's yeah. a compromise right there in the name of the show that the show, to a certain extent, cannot center Rosa Parks because it is a story about the Doctor and the Doctor's friends. So if you're okay with us sort of taking a bit of a left turn or a right turn, whichever turn it is, let's take a look at how this story is as a Doctor Who story, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. It is the purest historical story that we've had in a very long time, I think. For those of you who aren't like intimately involved with this kind of conversation, basically there's a lot of debate um, between the Doctor Who uber fans about like the different levels of a historical because there are pure historicals in which the Doctor and his friends are involved, but there are no time-traveling shenanigans beyond their arrival. There are no aliens involved, etc. And we haven't had a pure historical decades probably is safe to say, like a very, very long time. And a lot of recent historical episodes have been like very far along the science fiction perspective in which aliens and time travel shenanigans and all of that are baked into the episode. Think the difference between the doctor and his friends ending up uh, in the French Revolution versus Daleks and World War Two. So like, that's that's sort of the difference. And this is like very, very close to a pure historical. Except that, that we've got a meddling monk. We've got a meddling monk. We've got a meddling racist monk. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, and that's a bit of a downer that 78 centuries from now, toxic alt-right bros are still a thing. Um, that's an actual white supremacist locked up in storm cage for apparently being a really, really hideous mass murderer. Yeah. I actually, I don't want to say I liked that, but... The shift in perspective was appreciated because a lot of previous episodes have been rather optimistic about what biases will carry into the future and what yeah. won't. Yeah. Hey, everybody, uh, in Captain Jack's time, everybody's going to be pansexual. Yeah. It's mm, biases carry forward. They don't just get completely eradicated by time. So I thought that was a more pragmatic approach to it. That recognized that, especially, you know, the time that we're living in now, to say that this will all be magically cured by time someday is not really a helpful perspective because it seems to defy our own lived experiences. Things can get better, but, you know, those attitudes haven't entirely vanished and probably won't. For the third episode in a row, I feel like the plot is... Uh very linear. It's very simple to follow. And the clues that are set up for things that happen later in the episode are fairly clear. That's very different from what we had in the Stephen Moffat years. At the moment, I am appreciating that. I think that, yeah, it's kind of obvious that Ryan's going to pick up the backup time gun. And at some point, our bad guy is going to find himself at the business end of it. 
things like that. But this is an emotional story about the doctor and her friends being caught up in linear history. And linear storytelling really works for this, I think. You know, I think what made the kind of twisty storytelling of the Moffat era kind of interesting was that it was kind of new and innovative at first. You know, Series 5 is pretty dang impressive the way it pulls together a loop like that, the way that they seeded clues that things weren't quite right throughout the story, throughout the entire season arc. But after a while, if you're just doing it to be kind of twisty and convoluted, it loses some of its sheen. And these stories are not trying to be overly clever in producing a plot that is difficult to follow if you're not keeping notes. These episodes are challenging us in different ways, and I think equally as good ways, if not slightly more compelling ways, because the challenge to this story is not, well, did you pick up that clue that I laid down several weeks ago about how time travel was involved here that would have, you know, showed you the complex time loop that I tied up this whole story in. The challenge here is, are you going to recognize that these injustices existed in the past and continue to affect us in the future? One of the things that I'm still hung up about is that there was a review in the Radio Times where a woman wrote, it's an odd episode that's preachy and teachy, giving itself the hard task of explaining segregation, racism, and the Montgomery bus boycott to a young audience. So it loses its way as a bit of tea time fun and becomes more of a lecture. Um, and You can't see me. I'm rolling my eyes right now. Doctor Who was set up as an educational story, and this is basically the epitome of the format. It is informing people about what happened in the past, about important historical figures who changed the entire world. And it is inviting its audience to wrestle with difficult and complex questions about their role in fighting injustice, about recognizing that just because you can look back on the past and say, well, that's bad and we don't do that anymore, that maybe similar injustices are taking place right now. That is the point of having Yaz and Ryan and talk about what is happening in Montgomery, Alabama, and what they dealt with as people of color growing up in the UK. Like, this is exactly the kind of story that we need from Doctor Who. Doctor Who should not always just be light, fun, silly episodes. Those are great and fun, and I enjoy them. But Doctor Who, as a show, as the incredible television format that it has can give us more interesting and challenging stories to deal with. So yeah, this is not going to be the most light and friendly episodes ever, but this is subject matter that children do deal with, that children will be dealing with, and that can help them deal with this kind of stuff especially for the young children of color who are going to be watching this, who can relate to these types of things happening in their everyday lives. Ryan and Yaz are adults in this story, but they are talking about things that happened as they were growing up, as they were children. Ryan's having conversations about what he and his nan discussed as he was a young boy. And she's telling him, you need to hold back your anger because it can be dangerous for you. These are the types of conversations that we as you and me, Chip, as 
white people did not have when we were children growing up. And it's important as well that white children watching the show right now learn that and understand that, that their experience growing up is going to be different and that they should not be a part of that because children are the cruelest to each other. And it's not just adults saying these things to children. It's children saying it to children. So this is something that children need, that children can still enjoy as a historical, as a Doctor Who episode, and is going to, I think, help them in the long run. I agree completely. Olds like us sometimes forget that Doctor Who is made for a family audience and that children are very much a part of this audience. People who do not know this history are part of this audience. And if this story has to be a little didactic in explaining that history, so much the better. That opens the doors. Exactly. There were some moments of humor, some fan service callbacks. I was mouthing the word Jobs right along with Graham when he uh, gave his alias as Steve Jobs after he struggled to create this alibi of uh, this bizarre telephone that would uh, send messages and such. We had a bad guy wearing a vortex manipulator who was a prior resident of Storm Cage, which was River Song's hangout, painted in a, a little less uh, warm and fuzzy tones than uh, Storm Cage was when the doctor kept nipping in and out to uh, take River out on dates. Were you expecting a River Song reference when the word Storm Cage was mentioned? Not really, no, but uh, I thought, you know, use your existing references. You've already got a Supermax prison in space somewhere, so you might as well do that callback for people who remember it. You know, it's a, it's a yeah, you're right. It's not quite the uh, light and fuzzy touch that they uh, took with a Supermax prison for River Song. No, the TARDIS is continuing to take the doctor where she needs to go, not where she wants to go. And it sounds like that they've had a number of adventures already prior to this episode. This week, Doctor Who magazine dropped with their first comic strip of the doctor and friends. And I feel like this is a story that could easily slot in before this. I, I like the feeling that they've already been through this several times and they're already rolling their eyes at her inability to get them home. Yeah, that's the great thing about Doctor Who. You can always fit more stories in there. There's always little gaps that you can slide something in. So let's talk about that ending that made you cry. You know, I gave most of my feelings on it earlier. I think the thing that gets me is still that Audra Day song. Um, that is that is going to be inextricably tied up with 2016 for me. That song yeah. always will. That song is always going to make me cry. But used in that context, tying together the past, the present, and the future. Oh, that was a lot for me. Yeah. That was... And, and we we marry that with historical footage of Rosa Parks receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and I need to do a little bit of research. Why did it take until 1999 for that to happen? If I recall correctly, that video was President Clinton and his predecessor, George Herbert Walker Bush, holding up her hands at the end of that thing, and that's a, that's a callback to a less toxic time in politics, perhaps, maybe. 
you know, it takes a long time because for a long time, people don't recognize that disruptive political action is the heroic thing to do. You know, look at the protests that are happening right now and look back on them 50 years from now and see how do we view them? Are we viewing those in a different light than we did in the middle of them? You know, these these protests were not well received at the time. So think on that when you're thinking about some political actions that you're looking at today. Will, uh, will they be the heroes of the story 50 years from now? And then a final nice Doctor Who-y science fiction-y away, Asteroid Rosa Parks. That was great. I, you know, <laughs> uh, let's tie it to space. Let's tie it to universe. There's a asteroid that is always going to be out there named for Rosa Parks. So this wasn't what I think we've come to think of as a, quote, typical Doctor Who episode. It is classic historical. It is quantum leap. It's timeless. It is let us put history back on the right track rather than let's have adventures and let's uh, do our own things in this historical setting or whatever. But like we said at the top, I think it's the Doctor Who that we needed today. I think so. So... Thank you to everyone involved for making me cry and giving me a little bit of motivation to keep moving forward. This week on The Incomparable Network. While they waited for New Who to air in Canada, Stephen and Erica bided their time with Fury from the Deep on Lazy Doctor Who. It's time for Season 3 of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer Recap with Jason and the Scooby Gang on The Incomparable, Episode 429, A Juicer for People. And Erica reviews Becky Chambers' record of a space-born few on Recently Read. All this and more at TheIncomparable.com. Well, Alyssa, I certainly hope that next week's episode is going to be a little less uh, emotionally fraught for you. Oh, right. Spiders. Run away. I don't want spiders. I'm going to go and get into my car and then into my hovercraft and then to my helicopter and then to the Whomobile and right off into the sunset. That was thorough. So I and hopefully Alyssa will be here to see you next week on This Week in Time Travel. And you can find more episodes at thisweekintimetravel.com. We are on Twitter at DRWhoThisWeek. I'm on Twitter at numeral 2 minute time Lord, And Alyssa is on Twitter and Tumblr at Whovian Feminism. Our podcast is on Facebook. Thanks to Christopher Breen for our original theme music, to David J. Lore for our original podcast logo and avatar. Please review us on Apple Podcasts and consider becoming a member of the Incomparable Network. Oh, and tell all your friends about us, too. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time for Arachnids in the UK on This Week in Time Travel. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.